0: Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 20. Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 20. Will you please rise for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Just join me as we continue to worship, as we pray again. Oh God, your word is more precious than fine gold, sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your word, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace, so that the good news of your truth and love will shine before our eyes and delight our senses, so that we can't help but respond with wonder, with faith, and with trust. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In about seventeen hundreds. There was an Italian man by the name of Bartolomeo Cristofori who began to twinker, tinker with uh, an instrument that today serves us as a piano. You you see, can can I show the picture here? Harpsichord is actually um, like a big harp, like the name would suggest. And for the vast majority of history, um, upon the invention of the harp, harpsichord is played with something like a pick. So when you play the harpsichord, it would sound like a big harp that was plucked and picked. However, in the span of 1700 and 1800, um, eventually other uh, people kind of changed more so that um, instead of plucking, Um, a small hammer was used to strike the string. And the range, the musical range, increased immensely and people began to compose music in different ways than ever before. If the organ was the main instrument of choice during the Baroque era, after the invention of the piano, you have people like Brahms, Chopin, just to list a few, who began composing in ways that we had never heard before. This shift from a harpsichord to a piano was such a revolutionary change in the arena of music. And when you come to today's passage that um, Priscilla read, we come to a a radical um, change in the way moral ethics has been considered People have considered this golden rule as the Everest of all ethical teaching, where Jesus taught this law of reciprocity. Now, um, in verse 12, Jesus speaks by saying, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Um, Pastor Eugene spoke and preached about the previous 11 verses, about not judging, asking the Father who gives the better gifts than us sinners could do. And verse 12 that we just read sums up what we just saw in previous 11 verses. And in fact, it doesn't just sum up those 11 verses, it actually sums up the previous sermon on the mount that started way back in Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and on. You see, in that section, Jesus uh, spoke and he said to um, the people listening, "Do do not think that i come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Fast forward a couple of verses, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus started that two chapters ago and is wrapping it up, coming back to the to the verbiage here and saying, "Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do unto them." If you study history of philosophy or religion, you probably have heard something very similar, and you might even, if you Google the Golden Rule, you probably seen this verse, Matthew five verse twelve, along with. Many other well-known sayings in history. Hillel, one of the renowned Jewish rabbis, once said, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. That is the whole law, and the rest is commentary. Go and learn. Go do likewise. In the book of Tobit, um, which was written around the third century before Christ, the hero tells his son this, what you yourself hate, do to no man. Confucius and Analects taught what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Even Buddhism teaches this negative version of reciprocity. Hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Many wise people in history have taught, hey, don't do to others the things that you don't want done to you. So you might wonder, it's like, how is Jesus' teaching so radical then? I mean, if I Google the golden rule, Jesus is just one of, he's usually somewhere in the middle of the end among many lists. But you see, it is revolutionary because all the wise people in history give the negative version of the law of reciprocity. It's about not harming, not doing the wrong thing, the bad thing, the painful thing to other people. So if you think in terms of concentric circles, not doing harm to others is a relatively small circle of responsibility. As long as I don't do something, say something to harm someone, I'm okay. I don't steal. I don't say things to hurt others. But what Jesus is saying is actually very, if in fact, totally different. It's radically revolutionary because Jesus is not saying just don't do things that you don't want other people to do to you. Do to them what you would want them to do to you. He increases the circle by saying it's about doing the good thing that you would want people to do to you when you are in need so there is no limit there is no tight circle do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a vague it's an inconvenient it's a costly boundary that's amorphous that's really really hard to reach that's why It is so radical. Jesus raised the bar of this law of reciprocity that had been around for a very, very long time. It's about loving your neighbor, not just not harming your neighbor. We spend some time confessing our sins today, like we do every Sunday And if you're like me, growing up in the early young age, I would typically confess my sins of commission. Like if I lied, if I stole something, those are the things that I would say are sinful acts. Doing bad things that could harm other people. But we intentionally confess our sins of omission because not loving, not caring, not edifying, is actually at the heart of it all. And it is what God sees as sin. If you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, about this man who's trying to self-justify that he actually hasn't sinned, Jesus, at the end, points out this Samaritan who cares, who uses his money, time, and energy to care for a Jew who would shun him, from a distance and asks who was a neighbor to this Jewish man who was beaten and abandoned well clearly it was the Samaritan because he did what was desired needed by the man who was beaten and abandoned if you look at this positive version of the reciprocity law the golden rule It is something, the more you look at it and study it and think about it and pray about it, you realize you can't do it. It's such a high bar, yet it confuses me and it kind of saddens me to see countless scholars, wise people who who study philosophy and religion and put Jesus' golden rule along with all the others. When all the others are negative laws and Jesus is teaching about what it means to do the positive. Do to them what you know you would want them to do to you. And we realize that our goodness, as we compare ourselves to this golden rule, it's just found wanting. We can't meet up to the standard. The golden rule—the term began to be uh, began in usage in England around 17th century. Preachers and teachers start using it, and in England, a rule, a ruler, um, the word for that would be a straight edge, because a ruler has a straight edge. Um, and Matthew seven twelve would be God's straight edge, by which. If you and I were honest, we would see how crooked we are. Apostle Paul talks about the function of the law. He said in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's what the law of God does. Now, we just had a bunch of kids leave the sanctuary for children's ministry, And if I were to, you know, hand out a bunch of like white sheets of paper and ask them to draw a perfect line, and I say, let's see who can draw me the 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 straightest line possible, and you know, one child, and each child will do the best he can, depending on his or her personality. Some won't care and just go. Some will be like, and you know do their best, some will complain, oh, he or she had a better pencil, Oh, my paper's crooked, you've been there, we've all done that, and you know, I uh, asked the kids to, if you can show the first slide here, to draw a line. Now these are my kids. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you who drew what line, but uh, uh, some, one of them were a little more cautious, just slow and just careful, one just didn't seem to care that much, like, shh, Um, but at the end, you know, they might say, oh, uh, we will probably, you know, compare. We all do. But if I were to show the next screen, get a straight edge, a ruler, and draw a line, um, even the best line, when you compare to the actual straight edge, you know it's found lacking and wanting. It's just not straight. Even the best of the best is still not perfect we do what we can and naturally we compare like I'm not like him I'm not like her at least my life my action is a straighter than his or hers and we might feel better we might feel superior But when we come before the word of God, the law of God, the straight edge of God, we realize that we are lacking, we are wanting, we don't meet up. That our lines of character is fundamentally crooked. and I can't do it on my own. The golden rule, this law, positive law of reciprocity, drives us to Christ because you can't do it I can't do it we can't possibly meet God's standard on our own however now we are ready to receive that good gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and as we become new creation then now we can begin to do good to others Jesus spoke chapters before, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom of God. Remember, Pharisees felt righteous. They had the smaller circle, they were doing things of not harming others, perhaps, and feeling pretty good about it. But that's not enough. Unless our righteousness exceeds that, we can't enter. We can't pretend, however, that the only thing that matters is the vertical. It starts with the vertical when we receive the good gift that the Heavenly Father gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But as we experience that, He beckons us, He calls us, He charges us to give good gifts to others to love others, not on our own, because we can't, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our righteousness has to be greater, or else we will not be able to enter as Jesus taught. And we don't do good to others so that we can receive something back. We're called to do to others what we want them to do to us. It's not a business transaction. Jesus continues in verse 13 by saying, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus leaves us with no possibility for neutrality. You have to choose. You have to respond. Jesus has been preaching. Now you have to decide. You have to choose one or the other, the narrow or the wide. There is no, I'm going to stay neutral about this. Let me think about it, Jesus. Remember, Jesus has been challenging, teaching about the kind of Superior righteousness that encompasses our thought life, our, the, the need to prioritize God in every spiritual, religious um, life that we partake in, about in the way we relate to mature, uh, material possession and our social relationship, that has to be exceed that kind of righteousness that we see in the Pharisees. And it calls now for a time of decision. Are you going to choose this wide path? that is easy, that leads to destruction? Or are you going to take the narrow path, narrow gate that's going to be hard, that leads to life? Jesus uses this doctrine of the Jewish doctrine of two ways, warning against the easy road, calling for the hard, narrow gate. This is not a works righteousness, but as we've studied before in um, James 2, there is, if there's no good works, that means faith was not there in the first place. When you continue reading the book of Matthew, you will hear again and again about the persecution, the cost of discipleship. It's going to be hard, but Jesus is reminding us that it's going to be worth it because it will lead to life. I get asked by Pastor Eugene and jun virtually every day to join them. They are uh, really disciplined in exercising. For the past two years, I have been consistent in declining. <laughs> <laughs> it is easy not to exercise. It is takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of work. I don't want to commit to that. I just rather not. I just rather stay easy and just not be in pain because they talk about pain all the time. It's like, why would I, you know, exert myself and be in pain? I'm already feeling pain. I'm not going to intentionally go out of my way to add more pain. But that's where most of us are, right? That's the easy road. I mean, we take the path of least resistance. That's our natural bent. The few of you guys here who do exercise regularly, you understand the cost, the discipline. There are only few of us here who are probably really fit and I think it becomes more evident as the basketball season continues, but. um, Most of us, we just take it easy, like me. Don't exercise on a regular basis because the cost is too high, it's too much work. It's easier just not. How much more? How much more about spiritual fitness? You know what Apostle Paul teaches Timothy He tells them that, you know what, physical training has some value, yes. But godliness, spiritual training, is valuable in every way. Holding promise to the present life and for the one to come. If you've been going to church like me for a long time, you might also think like me. um, Like there are different kinds of people who come to church. Some of us here, uh, probably perhaps unfortunately want very little to do with Jesus or Christianity but you're here because someone else Some of us feel like you know what I'm pretty neutral I'm kind of open to Jesus and his teaching but you know what I have different priorities now so I'm still going to check in once in a while but I'm not going to really you know commit to anything Some of us here might consider ourselves as seekers we are intrigued we are searching We are on that quest, but we're not quite ready to repent, not quite ready to commit. Or maybe some of us are like quasi-Christians or churched people who attend regularly. We seem to be believers, but we haven't entered into a personal, committed, authentic relationship with Jesus, and we haven't really become an active member of a body. Of a local church and maybe some of us we consider ourselves as young Christians we are starting we are intrigued we are hungry and maybe some of us we feel like we are mature Christians earnestly seeking growing in the Lord some of you guys might have more categories like dividing up your more some of you guys "Ah, ask too much maybe fewer categories but for Jesus you know what there are only two categories It's either we are on the wide, easy path, that wide gate that leads to destruction, or the narrow gate, the narrow path, the hard path that leads to life. It's one or the other. There are no other possibilities for Jesus. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he's calling for a response. Either you choose this or you choose this. There are no other alternatives out there. Which one will you choose is what he is saying. Just as it's easier to not exercise, like many of you guys might resonate and commiserate, with someone like me. Our natural bent is to just drift, is it not? Pastor Eugene has been talking about the areas that we especially wrestle with, whether in finance or family, or perhaps even in our profession, whatever it is. We naturally take the path of least resistance, and we drift, and when we allow things to drift, that's basically saying we're not gonna exert intentional energy and effort and discipline to work on something, and that's why some of us, we, 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 we spend money, but we don't pay attention, and we drift into debt. You can drift into debt, but you can't drift out of debt. It takes intentional energy, effort, work, and sacrifice to get out. It's hard. You can intentionally just not care too much about your family, not prioritize your spirituality and your relation with Jesus, and just kind of let the busyness of life, work, and everything just kind of take its course and just drift. But it takes commitment, priority, thinking advanced, deciding advance what you're going to do, how you're going to do it in your family spirituality to grow, to be intentional. We all prefer the easy path in many areas of our life why do we think anything really worthy is easy and everything else that we really value we know we spend time energy and money investing learning growing and we find value in that things that come easy we also don't cherish it and it just it's no big deal How much more in our pursuit of Jesus Christ? The truth is that salvation is by faith in Lord Jesus Christ and him only. What is the gate? What is the path? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You know what Jesus said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, only gate to the Father. He's not just one of the many ways of philosophy and religion, as if Confucius, Buddha, and Jesus essentially are teaching the same thing. No, they are not. And it is not enough for you or me to simply listen to a teaching and not decide Because our indecision to enter into that narrow path is a decision to enter the wide road and gate. It's one or the other. Jesus continues by warning us against false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. False prophets. Jesus warns his disciples, his followers, about false prophets who's going to tempt them, lead them away from the narrow path to the wide path, to the wide um, gate. He charges the disciples to be vigilant in paying attention, look out, because there will be false prophets. It's one of the scariest teaching for people like me. Keeps me on my toes, forces me to examine. Jesus charges, challenges the disciples to pay attention to the hypocrites who pretend to be one thing inside, but inside they're quite another. Sounds familiar? Hypocrite language in Matthew before. Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes. But in this case, they're actually wolves who are clothing themselves as sheep. False prophets. Clothing as elders when they're not. Counterfeiting themselves. Trying to lead them aside. A lot of these people are very familiar with this natural image of wolves, sheep. Because a lot of them were probably shepherds. Or they work in that whole uh, arena uh, in Uh, husbandry in that kind of way and he's charging them hey be aware of people who disguise themselves as sheep when they're not they're actually agents of the devil and Jesus continues you know what you can recognize these false prophets by their fruit fruits plural here but when you think about this passage and you know, as a Christian, you can't help but not think about Galatians five twenty two twenty three 23, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Because if the work of God is authentic, true fruit will be seen. It's just a matter of time. Time will tell. What kind of tree it is. You know, in Jesus' time, um, small blackberries were on these kind of um, buckthorn. They kind of look like grapes, but when you study, when you look at it carefully, you'll know, oh, these are not real grapes. In Jesus' time, small flowers were growing on thistles that kind of look like figs, but if you would look at it, clearly, if you taste it, you'll know that these are not figs inspect carefully that's on you inspect carefully make sure the teachers are teaching so that when you put the straight edge it lines up but that requires you to know what the straight edge is that requires you to know what the Word of God says how many people do we know personally maybe on the extreme sense, who have heard preaching that was really not in par with the straight edge of God's word. Watch out. Remain watchful. Make sure you think about and examine what I'm preaching and you look at the scripture for yourself. Does it line up? How does it line up? Because you know what? I confess, there's a human bent in me that wants to say things that are more palatable. We want to be liked. There's always a temptation to say things that are more readily acceptable than the hard. False prophets will not speak the truth. John the Baptist in chapter 3 spoke of something very similar towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, you know, the axis at the root of the tree is going to get chopped. If it's not bearing fruit, good fruit, this tree is getting chopped. Jesus is once again summing up that whole thing, coming to the end, false prophets, their end will be destruction. But that requires for you to know what the straight edge of God looks like. How are you doing? in your time, in God's word. I'm going to close with just two basic things about false prophets. False prophets, there's no straight gate, no narrow way for, in the teaching of the false prophet. It's easy, it's wide. And for them, Jesus Christ is not the center. There's no other way of getting around it. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the way. Not I am a way. I am a gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a narrow road. Jesus is not one of many roads. He's the only road, only path. And here's the second part that I think is important to remember about false prophets. When you think about prophets in the Old Testament, for example, a lot of the false prophets would say, peace, peace, when really there was no peace. They spoke of things that were delectable, delightful for the ears of the kings and people. Jeremiah spoke of false prophets who spoke of peace when there was no peace awaiting for them. In fact, there was judgment coming. And these false prophets were saying, there's peace. True peace. True peace can only come when sin is dealt with. You can't just sugarcoat it true real peace, not like hush-hush, let's try to make things all calm and quiet, no one fighting. True restoration, true peace, true reconciliation, true shalom can only happen when truth reveals the sin for what it is, it's accounted for, it's paid for, it's atoned for through Jesus Christ who is the Prince of Peace. We come to the end of Sermon on the Mount with verse 12. And Jesus beckons his disciples which path? Which way? Every single one of us, whether we would like to admit it or not, we are either on the wide path or the narrow path. The narrow gate or the wide. The easy. Or the difficult? The one that leads to destruction or the one that leads to life? What path are you on? We don't have the choice to not decide. Jesus calls us to decide. How will you respond? Let's pray.